0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of Our Campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either eight thirty or eleven o'clock a.m. Campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Your typical Mother's Day passage, just going to warn you, because uh, what this does is this takes us right to a very dark place in history. It takes us to the foot of the cross. And here we are introduced to the mom this morning as we discuss John chapter 19 verses 25 starts this way standing near the cross were Jesus's mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved he said to her dear woman here is your son and he said to this disciple here is your mother and from then on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It gets us going, right? Okay. That was believable. Uh, let's uh, let me uh, let me share with you this morning on this uh, this Mom Day a couple of quotes that I've. Uh, found over the course of the last week or so that I thought were funny and I would share. Okay? You ready for these? couple momisms? Uh, this one comes from Phyllis Diller. Anybody remember Phyllis Diller? <laughs> don't Don't worry. It's okay. It's church appropriate. <laughs> Phyllis Diller says this, I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford. Then I want to move in with them. <laughs> yep. How about Buddy Hackett? Anybody remember Buddy Hackett? he said, my mother's menu consisted of two choices, take it or leave it. <laughs> we have a friend, and he told me that his mama had a, a meal for him, his sister, and his father, all different. And I said, your mama was crazy. <laughs> this other one comes to us, uh, the author's unknown, um, but uh, I thought it was, was worth sharing. It says this, working mothers are guinea pigs in a scientific experiment to show that sleep is not necessary to human life. Bet we all have a, a momism or something that we could share with one another. It'd probably keep us all in stitches if we were really honest. Uh, one of my mom's favorites, and my mom's a nut. She's a hoot. Um, she would it's shocking, right? Yeah. Um, my mom would say this. She, she'd tell me. She said, "You keep giving me those looks, and your face is gonna freeze like that." I always thought that'd be fun. <laughs> you know, a lot of people make a lot of good money with those kind of faces. Um. Then um, my grandmother lived with us when we were growing up too, so I kind of had two moms in the house all the time. And I wonder if you all ever had this problem um, with a mom or a grandma who would call your name, but she'd have to go down the list to get to you. (laughs) So in my house, my grandmother usually did David, Jack, Becky, David. By the time she finally got to me, Jimmy was gone and it was just James. And then I knew I'm not laughing at this time. not a good choice to laugh because that's not funny anymore. Um, there was no Javid in our family. It just kind of got muddled at that point. Um, well, this morning we're going to look at um, one of our moms, one of our Marys that we're talking about throughout this Eastertide. We're going to look at Mary of Nazareth. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but again, this might be a shocker. Um, my imagination gets me in trouble every now and then. And I tend to read scripture and I tend to let that imagination go... Go down rabbit trails. Anybody with me? Well, let's see if you're weird like I am. How many of y'all have ever thought, what must it have been like to be the mother of Jesus? Um, Did she ever have to tell him no? Better yet, did she ever have to say, Jesus, not your sleeve, use a tissue? Or, Jesus, will you please stop feeding the neighborhood cats with your loaves and fishes? There it is, it's starting to get there, okay. I think about these things and we don't have these stories, at least not credible ones from uh, the raising of the Son of God, Um, but we can, we can look at the stories we do have and we can uncover a whole lot about this woman who was chosen to be the mother of the Christ. And we can learn from that relationship, I think, a couple of things that are really important for us today on this Mother's Day in 2019. All right? The first place to start is the birth narratives. We've just recently, not too long ago, come out of Advent and Christmas. And I would venture to guess everybody in this room could tell the story of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus from heart, right? No problem. So what we have to do is dig into this familiar story and do a little really looking at the context. First off, we need to know and we need to remember that Mary is a nobody. She's a nobody. She's a poor girl with a poor family who's just been engaged to a carpenter. It is an arranged marriage from this guy who's from Bethlehem. Now, what does that tell us? Well, first off, we need to know that Nazareth is a nowhere of nowheres. It is a nothing little town. Bethlehem might have been a not big town, but at least it was a suburban of Jerusalem. It was okay. It was at least. So, what does this tell us? Well, Joseph doesn't appear to be wealthy, but his future is a whole lot brighter than that of Nazareth. At least he has a home. At least he has a reputation that he can go to. So, this is a good match for Mary. Mary, this nobody from Nazareth, all of a sudden is visited by this this messenger, this angel who greets her and says, hail you who are highly favored of God. Now, notice about that. Who's the one favoring? The message is not about Mary, despite our Christmas productions and plays and all that fun stuff. The story, it's about God. She's a good kid and she's special, but she's special because God sees the specialness in her. This is God's story. And when the angel tells her what's about to happen, I love this. Mary goes into, I don't think so mode. She's 14, by the way, after all. (laughs) Um, She defends her honor, is what she's doing. She says, Nope, 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 nope. You got the wrong lady. I'm not pregnant. I'm not married. And the angel then explains to her what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come over you and overshadow you, and you will be the mother, the child, and be the son of God. Ooh. And what does she do? Again, my weird mind. She embraces this strange tale, this strange message, and she celebrates that God is at work. Now, I have to wonder, and I love, she's 14, Right? How many of you, if God shows up and gives you a crazy story like that, you're going to be like, woohoo, let's do it? Probably not. We're too mature. We're too logical. God used a 14 year old who was like, okay, God, I'm good. Let's do it. I want to celebrate your goodness. That's pretty cool, isn't it? No? Is this on? Are you awake? She said yes. Of course, Joseph takes an extra moment or two to be convinced, typical man, but eventually we find this couple in Bethlehem for the census. The baby arrives, born in a cave, and Mary is a mom. Now, I got to thinking about this this week. When Alex and TJ were both born, um, the doctors warned us, keep them out of public for several weeks. Put them in a cocoon in your house. If anybody comes over, make them put a mask on. Maybe not that quite bad, but protect them. Don't let them get sick or don't let anybody touch them. When Oliver was born, they were like, oh, no problem. Take them to Fayette Mall. Put them on the bathroom floor. It's good. (laughs) A little bit different. Each mom and dad has to choose how much exposure we're going to give our newborns to the world. Jesus is born, and what does Mary do? She's in a cave. It's stinking. There's cows all over the place, and she invites a bunch of stinky shepherds to check out this thing that they were told by some floating messenger in the sky. That's nuts, (laughs) y'all. Mary is willing to let others into the story that she has no control over. She's willing to let people call her baby a thing, which is weird, and then come on in and share the joy, ooh and aah. Matthew's gospel tells us that she lets a bunch of foreigners come in and give these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Ollie would not know what to do with that. She takes this baby then to the temple, eight days old for his little procedure, his first worship service, and all of a sudden this old man comes up Takes, him, takes the baby from mama in his arms, lifts him up like Lion King, and declares this incredible blessing. Mary is a pretty trusting person with this God gift. After the visit of the Magi, Joseph has this dream, says, we got to get out of here. So the whole family goes to Egypt to get away from Herod's insanity. And Mary and her family, they journey over this rough terrain to a place that every Jew throughout history has wanted nothing to do with. They want to leave. The only reason Israel went to uh, Egypt the first time is because they were starving in their own land. Mary and Joseph, what we learn from this, they're going to do everything in their power to protect this child even if it means going to a place that nobody wants to be. And after Herod finally dies, they go back where? Not Bethlehem, not where Joseph is from, not where he has a home and a business and a reputation. They go back to Nazareth. They go to this place because that's still not quite far enough away from Herod's crazy, barbaric other sons. At 12, they take Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. And on their way home, they lose him. Now, I have done a lot of dumb things as a parent. But at least I don't have to say that I've lost the Messiah. (laughs) And when they finally find him, Mary does what any good mom would do. She says, what were you thinking? We've been worried sick about you. Now, my mom probably would have said something similar but it would have been more animated and probably not that clean. (laughs) What are you doing? You know, I could just hear her in my head, and Jesus' answer could not have helped the situation. Why are you worried? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? I wouldn't have the guts to answer my mom like that, anybody here? I would have learned my mom's other favorite statement, would you like me to slap your face off? No. Eighteen or so years later, we pick up the story of Jesus' ministry, and where are they at? They're at Cana at a wedding. It's a party. The whole crew has been invited, even though Jesus has not done a single thing. He's not done a miracle. He's not done any teaching. He's just there because they want to be around him. They want to hang out. That's pretty fantastic. And at the reception, what happens? The wine runs out, which would have been a huge disgrace to the family. And Mary walks up to Jesus and she says, hey, they're out of wine. Do something. Sounds like my mom. She would have said, Jimmy, if you have the ability to help out, get on it. What does Jesus say? It's not my time, mom. Of course, then he goes around the corner and he does something anyway. He loved his mama, didn't he? Mary tells the servants, get up, get ready, my boy's coming. And it's as if Mary is ready for Jesus to get on with it, to get on why he has come in the first place. She wants all of those prophecies and those opportunities for her son to begin happening. Remember I said at the birth narrative, she couldn't control him. She was 14. She was like, I don't know, I'm just here. Yay, it's a good thing. Now it looks like she's certainly starting to understand and mature and go, wait a minute. Let's get on with it. There's an element there where she's maybe not trying to control him, but certainly trying to say, let's do this. Mary's an amazing woman. She's an incredible mama. She embraces this call from an angel. She shares the good news with shepherds and magi. She protects him by taking him to Egypt. She raises him within the walls of her faith. She worries over him. She's she's trying now to release him to his calling. But then there comes this moment when it gets a little too serious. And she goes from mom, yeah, to mom worried. Mark chapter 6, we read that Jesus' ministry is getting so big, he's so busy that he doesn't have time to rest or to eat. And it's so troubling to mom that she comes to to check in with him. And she brings Jesus' siblings. Now, what we find from Mark chapter 6 is the siblings think that Jesus is crazy. Now, I don't know about you, but I have three sisters. I'm sure that all three of them are crazy. <laughs> Jesus' brothers and sisters thought that he was nuts. So they come to rescue, pull him out of here, and kind of put him in his place. Mary comes to rescue and to provide safety. Maybe she's trying to control things a little bit because it's getting out of hand. And Jesus says in the midst of this, all who do the will of God are his mother, brother, and sisters. Now I wonder, do you think that stung Mary a little bit? Of course, that wouldn't be the last thing that she would feel. Jesus goes to Jerusalem for this great celebration of Passover and mom comes along and in a matter of one night, Jesus goes from dining with his friends to being betrayed, denied, condemned, tortured, ridiculed, and left for dead. And we find Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing at the foot of his cross. And there his mama saw the very worst of all humanity. And she saw it poured out on her baby boy. And on that cross, we're told that as he hung there, the son looked at her, saw her pain and torment, and he provided for her. He entrusted her care to this beloved disciples. My brothers and sisters think I'm crazy. They don't know what this is about. So this this beloved disciple of mine, he's going to take care of you, mom. Joyce's family has a place up in North Carolina mountains uh, that we all use as a vacation spot. After her grandparents passed away, uh, we were asked if there was anything that we wanted from the estate. There was only one thing that really we thought of. Uh, It was something that I had been transfixed from the first time I entered into that North Carolina home 21 years ago. It's a miniature of Michelangelo's Pieta. Alex, I have a picture of this. Would you put it up on the screen? You all seen this before? Originally, it was crafted for a French cardinal and later moved to one of the main chapels in the Vatican. It is one of the most moving pieces of art of all time. It's also the only one that he signed. The statue is of Mary holding her recently deceased son, Jesus, in her arms. She's cradling this adult figure in her arms like she would have cradled him as an infant. His face shows no sign of agony. It is a face at rest. Michelangelo wanted it that way. He carved Christ's face this way to show us, to let us know that the work was finished and he was at peace. But while Jesus' face is serene, Mary's face is one of sorrow. The sorrow that, uh, of a loss only a parent could feel. Whenever I see Michelangelo's pieta, I am moved and I find myself frozen inside this moment captured in marble. And I have to think when I see it, I wonder if Mary, while holding her son, remembers what the old man Simeon said to her at Jesus' first worship service so long ago. He said, this child is destined to cause many to fall and many others to rise. He is is sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. Those words had to have been hard enough for Mary to hear. But then Simeon looks at her and says to this faithful mother, and a sword will pierce your heart. Is this that moment? Church Universal has had several titles or names for Mary over the years. Different traditions view her in different ways. Many pray to Mary, not as God, but as a saint that can speak directly to the Son on their behalf. As Protestants, we don't do this. But we do appreciate, we can appreciate the closeness, the care, the concern, the faithfulness of a woman who carried the Son of God. Actually, That carrying the Son of God is one of those names that the church has used. In Greek, it's called Theotakos, or the God-bearer. When I see Mary, I see a person that God chose, a nobody that God chose to use to, to restore, to rescue, and impact the rest of humanity. I think that's one of the things that we can all learn from Mary, whether we're a parent or not, carrying God, representing the incarnation in the world, is what each and every one of us are invited to do. We get to share this story, even with shepherd nobodies. We get to let the world know of this great thing, even when it's a little scary. You and I get to protect and care for the beauty of this gift and let the goodness of of the gospel message out. We we also mourn the ugliness that has crept into creation, into society, and realize that it's Jesus' sacrifice that's brought beauty that we get to spread. Do you notice the word get to? I know way too many Christians who say, well, I have to do this or I'm supposed to do this. No, we get to. What was the last time you got to do something that good? You're a meddling, preacher. Darn right. We see Mary one final time after the crucifixion. I wish that there was a passage in Scripture that told us that, that Jesus showed up to his mom after the resurrection and said, Hey, mama, I'm good. It's not there. I've looked. I don't believe that Jesus would have not done that. But what we do have about Mary follows the ascension, that moment when Jesus assumes the the throne of the cosmos. He is gone, and as the disciples have gathered in the upper room doing what Jesus said, get up there and wait. Wait for this moment when the Spirit's going to come. Wait for Pentecost. What do we find? Mary is with them. Mary is in the upper room. Guess who else is in the upper room? Those brothers and sisters who thought he was nuts. Something happened in the resurrection where they said, we got to be here. We got to be a part of this. She and the siblings who, who, who are now gathered with these us, these others, they're, they're in there resting and praying and waiting and anticipating. They're believers now. And Mary, in the upper room, while she'll always be his mama, she's called something different in that place. You know what she's called? She's called a disciple. The brothers and sisters who rejected him, didn't know what to think, they're called disciples. You see, what what I'm I'm finding is um, that title that's been given to each and every one of us, It's one of the most important things that we can do. Moms, dads, grandparents, uncles, aunts, everybody, those of us with children, those of us without. Let me say this final thing in closing. Let me invite each and every one of us to an action like Mary on this Mother's Day. You and I have a precious gift that's been given to us. And it is a sacred obligation to pass along this good thing that God has done in Jesus to our future generations. The most important thing that we can do, and everybody here is considered the church family, again, whether you have children or not, is to pass on the story, to pass on this good thing, to let other people know of Jesus. Then we have a culture and a society that wants to let everybody choose their own path. Remember those choose-your-own-adventure books as a kid? Well, same thing with faith. No, that's not what we see from Scripture. We pass on our faith tradition to those coming behind us. They have to choose, yes. But like Mary, we carry God, the incarnated God, Jesus, to them. And we get to. We have to raise them to know who he is. This is our most important job and responsibility. It's the one we see in Mary, the God bearer. It's the one that we get to bear to others as well. And so, like Mary to Jesus at the at Cana in Galilee at the wedding, I say to you, do what he's saying. Let's go tell. Let's get up. Let's get back to the party. We got work to do. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for Mary, and we thank you for her story, we thank you for her willingness to say yes, that you came to a nobody 14-year-old, and you used her um, to be the God-bearer. We thank you for uh, the story that's been captured in Scripture of her, her incredible moments of her failures. Well, Lord, we're, we're thankful that we get to remember her not just as the mama of Jesus, but we get to see in the Larry last story we have of her as a disciple. Lord, you've called each and every one of us in this room. You've invited each and every one of us in this room to be a disciple, to be another God-bearer or another that takes that takes this person, this Jesus, to the world around us. Remind us, Lord, today on this Mother's Day, that our greatest responsibility is to share this with the next generation, to let them know the love of Jesus. We can teach them a lot of lessons. If we don't tell them about you, that may be our greatest failure. So empower us, O Holy Spirit. Fill us. Remind us that we don't need to have all the answers. We just need to point them to you. Thank you again for Mary. Help us to leave this place ready to be a God-bearer. to to realize that we get to share really great news. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us today. Guide, guard, and protect us as we leave, filling us with your power to overflowing. For it is in your name that we offer this prayer, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. amen.